Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for joining us on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is the chief evangelist for GovQA, an automated workflow software solution for government compliance. She has helped GovQA become one of the fastest growing private GovTech software companies in Illinois with a 40% year-over-year growth. She has 10 years of experience managing local and international business development initiatives for business-to-business tech companies and has grown sales teams in the GovTech sector for 15 years. She was a real estate sales consultant for Real People Realty, the vice president of sales and customer care for Suzo Hap, and the chief officer of sales for GovQA. She has a passion for storytelling and having engaging conversations, which really excites me because that's what we're going to do today. (laughs) Jennifer Snyder, welcome to Leading from the Front. Dr. Gary, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So Jen, talk to me a little bit about how the heck did you get into government software and and (laughs) compliance? I mean, there's got to be a story there. There is. I'm trying to figure it out myself. No. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I've always been in sales. I've always had a passion for sales. It's what I've always liked to do. I've always gravitated there. I was, as you had mentioned, a real estate agent for many years and was watching the market kind of take yet one more tumble and decided I really didn't want to be a part of that ride anymore. So I started looking at, you know, where I felt I could make a difference, where my skills would apply. Luckily, had come across GovQA, had some wonderful conversations with some of the leadership there regarding government sales and how they were migrating the company into a GovTech organization. And thought it was something really interesting, and I wanted to dive in, and I absolutely love it. It's a great space. So when, when you say, you know, you wanted to make a change, you know, so you're sitting there looking at the ups and downs of real estate, and you decide to get into something else. Did you have a conscious process that you went through to try to figure out where you were going to head and looking at your strengths and what you love to do? And how do you go from real estate to software? Well, if we take it back a little bit farther in the Wayback Machine, I went from ice cream to printing sales. Uh, Well, I went from ice cream to retail, from retail to printing, from printing to real estate. So, you know, all along the way I've been selling. So I knew it was a matter of the skills and how do they apply. For me, it's as long as I can believe in what I'm doing, mm, I can really make an impact. So, you know, and that's always kind of how I looked at it. It wasn't so much the product as long as I believed in the product. Well, yeah, that's a good point when we talk about the why, right? It's what's in our core, what's most important to us and our purpose. And that kind of gets us into leadership. I mean, you're so... How do we develop leadership capabilities? It's an inside out process. Absolutely. So you've got to know what your why is before you can figure out what you're going to do for the world. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting point because I think when you're starting to lead teams and coach folks, one of the first things you have to do is figure out what their why is. Mm. You know, you have to understand what are they trying to accomplish? Do they want to be the superstar salesperson of the year? Do they want to plant a seed and grow a management career? But what are their aspirations so that you can figure out how to coach them and clear a path for them to really be successful in what they want to do? Because ultimately as leaders, that's our job, right? 
So in leading teams in the past, do you figure that out as you go along? Do you actually ask people like over coffee? What do you want to do? What's your why? What's behind this motivation to be part of this team? Yep. I think one of the first things I've always done with a new team or a new member of a team is to really kind of have that little bit of personal interview with them to understand not only who are they as an employee of this organization, but who are they as a person, a mom, a dad, you know, a friend, a sister, a brother, who are you and what's really most important to you? And then making sure that we can build a path for them. You know, and some people want to be on a path. Some people want to stay right where they're at and do really well there. So really trying to get a hold of that so that you can make someone go home every day and feel proud of what they've done. So I do think it's important. It is. And I think that you make a really good point about trying to understand what they want, what they stand for. And some people just love what they're doing. Just leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, as a leader, when I've gotten somebody on my staff that says, I'm good at what I do. I just want to keep doing this. Just support me in this. Help me out when I need it. I love those employees. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. We all, I mean, you know, it takes all kinds, right? We need everybody. So if you've got somebody who's really confident and good at what they do and they want to be there, great. <laughs> yeah. So on the other side is you've got people that are ambitious and they, they, they want to do things. And um, I was just reading something recently about uh, uh, articles about some of the differences in our business world with men and women. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement here and I want to ask you if, if you confirm this or not, but it seems a lot of times with women, they will tend to hold back and not tell what they want when they're ambitious. They won't go out and make it clear to those around them that I want to move up or I want to expand or I want to do this. I want to do that. Men will tend to be just more open with that and kind of say it and take more risk and there's a lot of studies that actually support this, but has that been your experience with with uh, leading teams? I think um, yes. I had the I, um, I I just fell into a lucky situation where I've had many mentors who kind of took that piece out of the equation. Mm. Um, you know, I also had very strong parents who you know uh, set a different you know thinking pattern for uh, for me really early on when it came to that. So it was easier for me to identify it in others uh, and identify the holdback. I think you could find a lot of women who um, who wish they could or or would like to, but they don't feel entitled to go get it. Hmm. In the same way, sometimes you see men who might feel like they're a little more entitled. Um, and I, I just mm -hmm. think that's just a healthy part of who we are and what makes us different. So we have to learn how to, you know, if I think I'm entitled, I need to learn how to dial it back sometimes. And when I think maybe I don't deserve something, I have to figure out how to go reach for it. So again, being a good leader is is part of, you know, seeing that and making sure that it's being used for good. <laughs> and, I, and I also think, and I, I bring this up, I bring this research up for a reason, because we have leaders listening to this. And if you've mm -hmm. got people that that aren't expressing some of this is being able to have that conversation and draw it out and, and don't just say, you know, you've got to speak up for yourself, learn to speak up for yourself and, and great leaders actually figure out a way to help the person feel safe so that they can speak out. And so what you, you, you made a comment though earlier with mentors and your parents that kind of mm -hmm. gave you a mindset that overcame that. What did, what did they do? I mean, did they just tell you to speak up or what, can you talk uh, about that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. So, well, I have a you know I have a very strong mother. She's a, a you know leader of her own. She you know has been leading uh, teams for years, and just watching her balance you know motherhood, career, family life, responsibilities, etc., um, just kind of set a tone for what what's capable. 
what mm-hmm. your, po- you know, what your possibilities mm-hmm. are, which I think is, is good in itself because sometimes to observe it versus have someone speak it at you is even more important. So kind of walking a walk and talking a talk is, I think is really important. Um, and then my father, um, you know, maybe just because he had two daughters and no sons, you know, he treated us as an equal player in the, in the ball game. Yeah. So, you know, it, that I think had a, had a huge impact. So I think yeah. he's, you know, he, he's a big, you know, it was always one of those reach for the star, you know, reach for the moon. If you only hit a star today, that's okay. Keep reaching. Yeah. You know, there was never a mistake, you know, theories right. like, you know, okay, if you spill it, that's fine. It doesn't matter what the, the what the accident was. It's how you clean it up. It's just it's always that kind up. of behavior. Yeah. So let's talk a little about the mentors. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a, I was talking to some, uh, some people, some executives that I was coaching recently and, and asking them about mentors. And it's interesting how some people make it a part of their development. They go out and seek out mentors and other people just don't even think about it. Right. You know, what impact did your mentors have on you and your development? Oh, a ton. Um, I just, you know, always challenging you, always getting you to think differently about things. I think, you know, er, way early on in my career, I had a mentor who just gave me more responsibility than I could ever imagine getting at that time in my career. And, you know, and I, I just kept taking, taking, taking. It was like you were drinking from a fire hose, but it was wonderful to be able to be in that kind of uh, exposure, you know, until it got to be, you know, here, I need your help with this accounting and taxes. And then my hand went up. No, <laughs> this is where I have to draw the line. Um, yeah. But, you know, so it was that. And then just getting mentors who, uh, you know, really made you, I think it's the big picture look, you know, we have such an ability to stay tunneled and look at only like what's happening right now at this one moment and, and not say, you know, look up, look at the results of what you're about to do right now. And what does that look like for you in three months? And, and what, you know, what could you do differently if you were able to go back and look at that three months back, you know, and it, it sure. was those kind of those kind of coaching and mentor moments that let you not be this head down worker bee, but actually say, wait a minute, what's the impact? I remember early on in my um, real estate career, you know, and when you're a realtor, if you don't hunt and kill, you don't eat. So you get very excited about sales. <laughs> yes. So, um, and sometimes you don't step back and think about how one sale could impact your career. And I had a mentor who was fabulous. And she said to me, I was about to sell, you know, just just under a million dollar home. Really excited. It was one of the first of that size in my career. And I did all the work. I did all the math. I knew what I was doing and I knew what was there. And she said to me, I don't think you should sell them that house. You know, and I'm thinking, is she paying my mortgage next month? Like it was, you know, one of, one of those yeah, kind of conversations. Sure. But she said to me, back up, sit down and look at how this will affect your career. What is this going to do to this client and this? And I knew specific things about that client that really impacted where they should be versus not be just because they were going to be a short term resident of our state mm. and that house would have to sell. So use what you know in real estate and make the right decision for this customer. And I must tell you, it was the most um uh, it was a scary event, <laughs> but it was one of the biggest turning points of my career because I got so much out of it that I would have never got. And what's funny is I got that by not selling a house. So it's, yeah. it's that ability to step back and just realize what your impacts are, you know, and and I have a, a mentor who is near and dear to my heart to this day who, you know, one of his favorite phrases was, 
you know, everybody can do it when it's easy. It's the days that are crazy and challenging that make us who we are. And, and that's just it because there are a lot of people who will just duck and cover when that happens, you know? And so being able to, when you, when you come across people in your career that you're mentoring or you're coaching and they have those challenging times, being able to actually say to them, this is actually where it's exciting. This is where, this is where you're going to shine. You're going to, this is your moment to make it. And, you know, really, it really kind of changes the way, well, it changes your perspective. Well, it's funny you should say that because that's exactly what I, I wrote, just wrote down as, as you were talking is these mentors challenge you to look beyond your own perspective, your own vision and create a new perspective, a new vision by asking you questions and, and mm-hmm. opening your mind and giving you suggestions. And what you just talked about in, in making the best decision for the client is all about integrity. Exactly. It's all about reputation. And as a, as, a, as a real estate agent, if you're not thinking about your reputation, your credibility every single day and the decisions that you make, you could lose your career very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't want to go work for Jen. Let me tell you what happened to me. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, oh, yeah. all that hard work. Right. And uh, because you were doing it, as you said, who's going to pay my mortgage? Where's your focus? Right. I was head down instead of big picture. And, and if you don't do that. Well, and you were also, you were also not just heads down, but you were thinking about yourself, not about your client. 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, and when mm-hmm. we do that in sales, we're, we're going to make bad decisions and that's the reflection of character. And I, I think, you know, we can go back to what you were talking about with your mom and dad. They mm-hmm. demonstrated to you, you know, how to live your life. They, they lived it in a way, your mom lived it in a way that mm-hmm. showed you how to live. She didn't just tell you. Exactly. So and I all think this kind of comes took- together. I'm, that's okay. Um, I think that's one of my biggest takeaways when I lead people. I want to be, you know, I'm always the kind of leader who can get in there, roll up my sleeves and do the work with you. Let's do the work together mm-hmm. and let's see how it actually does happen. And it is, you know, it is positive and it is, you you can be successful and, and really make sure that they can feel confident that I'm not asking them to do something I don't know how to do. So, you know, this is a great, that's a great topic to think about as leaders, you know, do the work with them, doing the work with them. But at the same time, there's this balance of, you don't want to do their work for them, right? Yes. You want to show them that you know what they're doing. So how do you, how do you create that balance? How do you know when you're stepping over and doing too much or when you're doing, not doing enough, but I love, you said, do the work with them. What does that mean? Talk about that a little bit on what that would mean as a leader. Sure. So I've always kind of described myself as a wingman. I want to be there to support you. I want to, um, you know, I want to be there to make sure that the path is clear, the road is clear. I want to be there to make sure that when you get done with an appointment, you feel like the objectives you went into it with were met. You know, this Mm -hmm. is what I wanted to do. So, so starting with the coaching and doing the work with them and making sure that we're prepared and we're ready to go and not doing the work, but making those kind of suggestions and, and things that are going to make someone, you know, do what was done to me, which is think, think about what you're, you want to do. Think about what the outcome should be always, you know, and another great um, saying, you know, I know it's a famous saying, but, it, but a mentor uh, used it all the time was, you know, right to your ending. What do you want at the end? And sometimes when you sit down and you're coaching folks and you just say, well, what do you want to get out of this? You know, oh well, what do I want to get out? And it's amazing the amount of folks who haven't thought that through. So being able to get people to think in that way and then help them build their plan to get there. And I yeah. think when when you do that with folks, they're so open 
to taking more coaching. Because I haven't yeah. told you what to do. I haven't Monday morning quarterbacked you and told you what could have been better. I've helped you think about it and plan for it so that you can get there and be successful. You know, it's it's interesting when you talk about this, uh, especially on the sales side. And, um, you know, my first book, which I don't talk about much, is Mastering Sales Leadership, Learning to Herd Cats. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's lead, led a sales team knows exactly what we mean by that. And uh, when you when you talk about asking these questions and open up their mind and getting them to think of some of the simple things, the basics never get old. What's your objective? You know, uh, the uh, habit two of the seven habits of ha- highly effective people by Stephen Covey is begin with the end in mind. I mean, right. how many times do we see this? Begin with the end in mind. What are you trying to achieve? What's your objective? Think about that first, and then let's work backwards from there to uh, to determine how you're going to behave, what questions you're going to be doing, what what preparation you're going to have, what do you know about this this customer, client, or opportunity. All of these things now come into focus in terms of what you said. I mean, you said preparing them. How do we prepare them? Well, this is how we prepare them. We ask them questions to expand the way they think about going into the work that they're doing. And it doesn't matter if they're in sales and operations or I work with construction companies, a project manager, you know, what, what is this building going to look like when you finish, you know, or Mm -hmm. what is this roof or this drywall or this paint job? What is it going to look like when you're finished? And what is it going to take within the timeframe that we have for you to accomplish those objectives? That's what you're talking about in coaching and mentoring. Yep. And it's, um, you know, it's interesting because as you coach folks, if you get to spend, you know, a long period of time with them, you know, the coaching changes, right? It starts with how do we, what's, what's our ending? What's our end objective? You know, you start at the very beginning when, you know, you ask people, okay, what's the next steps here? And you get things like, well, I'm going to follow up. By the time you're done coaching through that question, you're never going to hear that again, because it's going to be when I follow up, I need to know blank, blank, blank. So it's interesting how it, you know, all that evolution happens. And then you get to a point where they know what their ending is. They tell you the whole story. And now your next coaching section is, well, what don't we know? What could go wrong? And how do we plan for that? What's going to be our, you know, what's going to be our pivot move if that happens? So it's really, it's just, it's really fun to, to see the evolution of that, that coaching. Yeah. So uh, when, as you're talking about that and you, you're shifting the coaching, that's an important point with anybody that you're developing. And I, the, uh, I think because of my background as an engineer, I think in terms of process. Right. So when I work with organizations, you have a sales process, you're going to make a call, you're going to go have a meeting with them. You're going to have outcomes. You're going to make a, a progress towards a sale or a disqualification. It's going to be one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. And what you're describing is understanding as the leader every step in that process. And when I say learning to, you know, uh, herd cats, I, I got a question for you in leading a sales team. Have you found what I've found is different salespeople have different strengths and limitations within that process? And as their leader, I would step in into the, into the weakness area or get them support into the weakness area rather than asking them to do something they're bad at. Right. Well, and I think that makes a great point because you were asking kind of how, how I would go about, you know, um, not taking over and not doing too much versus not doing too little. And, you know, a good, uh, a good example that I can remember is I was coaching uh, a rep, very strong rep, you know, successful rep, but there was clearly something they were not comfortable with. Was it, to the detriment of their sales process, not necessarily. Was it obvious that it was a missing, you know, strength? 
Absolutely. So that's where I stepped in. And it was, it was not a, uh, someone's taking over, someone's doing my job. I don't, it's just something they just really couldn't do. And to be able to identify that very early. And then, so for me, you know, that became a coaching, well, I'll give you the example. So, um, very great salesperson, very strong, very strong prospector, all things good, uh, could put the right people in the right room, knew the products inside and out, was not good at small talk. That relationship building piece was a very difficult piece. And for me, I'm, you know, I mean, I could talk to anybody anytime. So it was, it was actually a challenge for me to think about how am I going to coach this person and think back to how in the past people, you know, mentors had kind of given me some hints or what I had pulled away from them, just observing them. And so I coached her into, you know, some, some tips and tricks on how to, how to prepare yourself for canned small talk. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. you know what, if this is not something you do, like everybody else, this does not in any way, shape or form measure you as a salesperson. But in some cases, it's necessary. Some people are more, they're going to gravitate more toward a relationship type of, of person than not. So you need to know when you got to pull that out. And here's some easy ways to, you know, to get there. So we coach through, you know, looking at current events, watching the news in the local city you're in, watching, you know, all the things that could arm you with some decision points, right? What's famous about the town you're in, what's all those things. And, and having her be able to, you know, prep in that manner made a lot of difference. And it took a lot of pressure off because it doesn't yeah. have to be so easy. It can be canned. No one knows it's canned. That's a great point. And it's, again, it's another point of preparation when you realize you're not good um, extemporaneously. Right. I like that word. I thought I'd throw that in there, to, you know, to let people know that I'm a doctor. But uh, that's a, I don't know how many syllables that is. I can't count that high. But, uh, you know, to be able to do it on the off the cuff, some people really struggle with that. And I mm -hmm. think you're right. Some of us with experience, I've got about five or 10 questions that I just start with to start a conversation. But, right. you know, to your point, you can prepare for that. If that's a limitation, we can prepare for it. And you can practice it too. Let's practice it right now. But, right. So, the the point is, is though, is being able to recognize that and give someone options that they never thought about because they're not comfortable with doing that. And as a leader, you're able to give that person some suggestions in an area that they're not good at. And all of a sudden they get, they don't have to be great at it. They just have to be like just below mediocre. Right. Right. Well, and I think that the important thing is it's just one more skill and most of us yeah. learn skills. So when you treat something like relationship building in that in that in manner, I think people think I either have it or I don't. It's this innate thing. But no, it's a skill. It can be learned just like anything else. So right. it's just taking it and putting it in that kind of context. Yeah. So uh, what, the work that we do in leadership, one of the topics that we talk about is mindset and the mm -hmm. work that Carol Dweck does on a fixed and a growth mindset. And what you just described is, is rather than saying, I can't do that, it's I can't do that yet. Mm -hmm. Just add yet, whatever it is you're saying, just add yet. And now let's go work on it. Right. And and exactly. it completely changes the way we think about it. So, um, so you were talking about shifting and changing your coaching mm -hmm. and, you know, we have, we have people that can just do it on their own. I can, I can remember, you know, thinking about that. I can remember originally thinking, you know, the salespeople, they've got to do everything. They're supposed to, they're a professional. They've got to do it all. And in my development as a leader, I realized that I needed to learn everything. If I could add value to the process of each sales person 
where they needed it to the point where I would get excited when people would ask me, can you come in to me and, and meet this client? Cause I'm terrible at closing. I just, I, you know, you say, just ask for the business, but I just don't know the right time. And I, if you ask at the wrong time, you, you blow the whole deal and you're really good at that. Can you come in? I go, yeah, I'll do, I like it. I love it. And learning um, what, people are strong at did you ever on your team getting people to do any cross coaching or mentoring or training and work based on their their uh their strengths and limitations absolutely so i think early on um in in you know in leading teams uh i thought it was all about talking at you i told you things mm. and you miraculously were going to absorb them and put them into action right that's how it worked well, clearly that didn't work. So then I realized that, you know, by doing and showing and giving examples and, and really kind of taking it to that level, that was making a new impact. And then you start to realize that, okay, I can talk all day long and show you things and do things. But at the end of the day, you go, yeah, but that's because you've been around the block. And let me, let me hear it from, so, you know, so you have to realize, you know, okay, on my team, I've got three people who have a, a really strong ability to prospect. I have three amazing closers. I got, you know, three people who can move through the sales process in the middle, like rock stars. How do I make them show that? And then, you know, not to use an overused term, but, you know, the role playing and the, and the team building kind of aspect of that, I think is, is incredibly value, valuable. And I also think it's important for your team to realize that you don't think you have all the answers. Like I can deliver it to you one way, but there's so many other ways and we should look at everybody's, right? Everyone that we have access to in our small little world here, let's look. Yeah. Well, I th you know, the, the old ABC of closing, you know, of sales always be closing, right? Which mm -hmm. is complete crap uh, <laughs> because studies have shown actually, uh, Neil Rackham did a bunch of research on this um, years ago that if uh, there, there's actually a, um, an, uh, an exponential decrease in sales uh, completed based on the number of times you ask for the, for the business. So it cuts in half after two, it cuts in another third after three and so on, because typically what happens in those cases, you're asking for the business too soon. You have to ask at the right time. When you ask at the right time, the person's ready to buy or they're ready to say no, if it's disqualified and that's fine. But you ask once, you don't ask two or three. So ABCs, but what you made me realize I'm sitting there, we're going to change it to a, ABD, always be developing, always be developing your sales team. And I did the same thing where we had to read books and every month we'd come together and do training. Mm -hmm. And it just, it, it excites the team because they don't feel like you are um, uh, throwing them in the deep end of the pool, telling them right. to sink or swim. It's all on you. You're being paid, make it happen. And uh, it, it's, it's just detrimental to the overall mood and energy of the team when you're not doing the job as a coach, as a developer, as a trainer. And then they say, how do we build sales? Sales teams are not teams. They're groups, right? A team is made by a single goal. So they're not, they're not teams. However, we can make them team like by having them do cross training, build relationships, do some things that are fun and help them kind of cheer each other on. No, I would agree. I, I think it's really, and I think it's really important for the, for the health of every individual on your team to realize that, we all identify each other's strengths. We also identify ever, everyone's opportunities, maybe not their weaknesses, but opportunity where they can grow, right? We all want to grow all the time. You know, the, the whole reason we do ongoing trainings and ongoing coaching is because every time you do it, something new 
will just hit a light bulb, right? And you're going to have some kind of impact that maybe you didn't hear the last two times you heard the exact same story or a very similar story or topic. And it's just because whatever's happening relevant, you know, right now in, in our day to day is going to be affected by whatever comes out of your mouth. So, you know, yeah. two months ago, it was something different. <laughs> yeah. And whatever we label, I use the label limitations, not weaknesses, but because we do have limitations. Mm-hmm. But, but if I keep a growth mindset and I just haven't learned it yet, you know, and I, I haven't gotten competent with it yet. Here's the other side of it is we all learn differently. Right. And I, I might take six months and it's just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And all of a sudden, boom, I get it. But halfway through it, if I stopped, I never get it. I never get any better. And um, I may never get it. But, I, you know, I have this, this uh, maybe it's an optimistic uh, fantasy that I, I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm, I, I can get better and I can get good at this. Maybe not great, but I can get good at it. And if we have that attitude, we're always going to develop. And then I, as we became executives in companies, if I'm not good at something, the first thing I do is I go find somebody that can. Exactly. Right? Exactly. No. And I, I, the, I mean, that's a good point. I think I have always kind of taken the approach of it, my style for, for learning or, you know, accomplishing something is always to kind of just dive in head first. I'm yeah. going to fumble. I'm going to fail. I'm going to, but if I don't get in there and get the bruises that are necessary, I won't retain it. I won't, I won't grow from it. I won't, it'll just be this thing. I followed directions and I did it and it was boring. And now I don't know what I did and I got to go back and do it again. So jumping in and failing. So I've always been, uh, you know, with my teams, I've always, or groups, as you said, um, I was, I have always been someone who has, you know, um, say, say, sorry, later, go, go do it, take action, you know, do what you got to do. And then if it didn't work, we're going to say, sorry, later. Um, And, you know, I think what I love about the organization that I'm a part of today is we have an amazing culture. And one of our um, one of the things that we constantly talk about is speeding tickets, not parking tickets. Hmm. Just go, go do, go try. And you know what? If you get a ticket, okay, we'll pay the ticket and we'll move on. But if we just sit here and get parking tickets, it's going to be a really boring ride. You're not going anywhere, right? There's no ride when you're parking. <laughs> so th- let's, let's, th- we've got two final questions that I do want to ask. Uh, the first question is uh, GovQA. What, what is it? Is QA stand for quality assurance? Well, great, great guess. Um, it actually comes from <laughs> questions and answers. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, when we uh, when we started as an organization way back in the early two thousands, um, we did a lot with electronic knowledge bases and self service. Mm. You know, that was all just starting to kind of come to life. So it started out in the commercial world, and then migrated itself over to the GovTech space. But that's where the QA came from was questions mm-hmm. and answers. And it's just who we are. So it's never gone away. And Q&A is a lot of what we do. And, you know, I joke today that we kept the QA because we've been doing this. We have a ton of experience. We are subject matter experts, thought leaders in our space. So we're here to answer all your questions. We've got it, right? <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You went from asking the questions to answering the questions, right? Exactly. <laughs> I like it. So my last question for you, Jen. And this is the question I always ask all my guests. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back to yourself 20 or 25 years as a leader, as as a businesswoman, what would you write for yourself? What would you dear Jen, dot, 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 what would you say to yourself? Sure. So I would have to say that I would be complimenting myself. I would be giving myself some some kudos because I would have accomplished some or all of my goals. 
I would be able to reflect on individuals who I really felt I made an impact on their careers and could see the success of their careers. And from that, know that I kept those relationships. I kept that situation, you know, and I think one of the biggest moments of my career is when I've had that opportunity to watch somebody start in one role and grow out of it into, you know, some of their own goals and aspirations. So I would like to think in 20 years, I'm reflecting back on all of those successes. Hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting as you talk about it, Benjamin Zander, who was a famous conductor, musician, and he taught music. And he said, when we start the class as a professor, everybody starts with an A. And I want you to write in the next week what you're going to do over the next seven days. Take the time to write what you're going to accomplish at the end of the year and how you're going to get there. What does it look like? So again, we'll finish up with this kind of end in mind conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's a very, very powerful thing to think about. And you can imagine that with most of his students, they did very, very well because it was an accountability they created for themselves on what grade do you want to achieve and how are you going to get there? And I think the same thing, I started doing this with sales teams rather than giving them quotas. I would say, what do you want your quota to be next year? Okay. And I have to say nine times out of 10, they were higher than I would have assigned. Oh, I can believe that. The other part of it was you got to plan for it. What are you going to do to plan for it? It's not just, oh, I want to make a million dollars next year. Personally, I want to sell 20 million. I'm like, oh, that's great. How are you going to do that? I have no idea. Well, give me a plan. And when they finish the plan, they go, well, it's more like 5 million. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you say that. I had one instance in my career where that was exactly how you coached to quota. You know, you started out with, well, here's what we want to do as an organization. What do you want your impact to that to be? And why Mm. now take that impact and take it out of my organization and put it over here into your personal life. What is that going to impact for you? If you do this, what does it look like for you personally? And what are those priorities? Because at some point, if we're not getting there, what is the sacrifice we have to make? And, or if we're doing more, what's on the next level of that priority list. And it was interesting to watch people's thought process around that. Did you find that, because then you'd get into a negotiation with them, basically, or conversation about Mm -hmm. if it's too high, too low, whatever. What did you find the results of that? Was it very successful? Did you see that people most of the time were within a bandwidth that achieved what they said they were going to achieve? I would say it was probably usually somewhere between 10 and 15% of what you wanted it to be. You know, if my goal was, let's just make up some numbers for yeah. the moment, a million dollars, you might see them say, oh, well, I'm hoping to do, you know, 900,000 or I'm hoping to do 115,000 or 100, you know, a million, 115,000. Right. So you would see a little range that because they're smart individuals, if they knew what the company goal was, they knew their level of impact, it had to be somewhere. But then when you really watched what they were going to do with that level of impact, personally, it was quite fascinating. Mm. People were buying a lot of boats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in sales, that's a good thing because exactly. they've got a mortgage to pay and it motivates them. Exactly. Right? So we're going to wrap this up. And I, I want you to know that when I go through these, Jen, I usually come up with a, a title. And I think I came up with the title for the podcast today is do the work with them. Because as I listen to you talk about this is being a sales leader is a very interactive, conversational, hands-on leadership style that you use that you're always doing the work with them, whether it's setting goals, whether it's coaching, whether it's going on a call with them, whether it's putting a plan together for next year, you're doing the work with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real testament to your leadership. And I'm proud to say that that's the name for this podcast. Sounds like a perfect name to me. (laughs) Well, 
Jen Snyder, I want to thank you for being our guest today on Leading from the Front. I really appreciate your wisdom, thoughts, ideas, and I'm sure people will learn a lot from hearing you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com.